Children, you are dismissed to teach me to worship. And if you are able and willing, as become our custom, will you please stand and honor the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in the verse 36. The context of this passage is Pentecost. Peter has been preaching because the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the church, filled them, and they are speaking in tongues. And he has just drawn the thread of all redemptive history for the purposes of God's saving plan in Jesus Christ from the Old Testament until present day. And this is what Peter says. Let all the house therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For, he pro- for the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God called to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the breaking of bread and of prayers. And all came upon every soul as they wondered, and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had everything in common. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What in the world is a church, and what does a church do? In preparing for the Sunday and thinking about this Next steps that we are making as a church as we seek to ordain elders and deacons to serve the church. I began by starting in one place, and then I had to take a step back. Then I had to take another step back, and it kept going a little further and a little further. And this morning we're going to do a little bit of Bible hopscotch. But we're doing this because to get down to the bare bones idea of what does the, what is a church and what does the church do? What, do? what do officers do? What do elders and deacons do? We must first see what the, the scriptures reveal of how God dispenses his grace upon his people. What I want us to see is what the church is. What is The church, and then once we establish what the church is, we will begin to see what the church is supposed to do. What is the church? Now, most of our little children have gone, so um, little older children, I'm going to ask you to do this. We need to put our fingers together, intertwine your your fingers. Adults, you can do this too if you like like this. So, right, we put our fingers together. We say, this is the church. This is the steeple. Open the door. And see all the people, right? Yeah, yeah. The church can be defined as a building used for public Christian worship. But I don't think that's a good description of what the church 
is. As our brother R.C. Sproul said in his book, Why Should I Join a Church? The church is not a building. The church is a people. The word church first appears in the scriptures as we read with Brandon in Matthew 16, verse 18. This Greek word, ecclesia, it's a compound word. The prefix is ex, meaning out of or from. The root word, kaleo, means to be called out or to be named. And so the church is something or someone who has been called out from something. The quote-unquote church is a people. It's not a steeple. It is those who have been set apart by God to be His treasured possession. We see the beginnings of those who are called and set apart as early as the scripture as Adam and Eve. They were set apart in creation from all of the rest when God said, let us create man and woman in our image. He made them distinct, set apart from the rest of his creation, and then he made a covenant with them. They were bound to him to be faithful. They were bound to him to obey what he called them to do. They were distinct from the rest of the creation. Then we see this again with Noah. He was set apart from the rest of the world, and then God made a covenant with him. And then we see the same thing with Abraham. Do you remember the story of Abraham? He was called out of his land so that the father would make him a great nation and give him a great name, that he would be a blessing to the nations. This is what the author of Hebrews says. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out. If you have in your Bibles, you don't have to turn there now, but go back to um, Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, and circle it, and write in, next to it in big words, this is the proper response for God's people. And so throughout the entire Old Testament, as our confession says, the church under age, they are those who are called out, set apart from the rest of the world. The church is God's people that he is using and blessing. This is what we see in Exodus 19, where God makes a covenant with Israel. He says that he has redeemed them. Therefore, now they are to obey his voice and keep his covenant and be his treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is his, and you, Israel, shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The word holy means to be set apart. In the New Testament, this is where they come up with the word saint. Saint is a holy one, one set apart for holy use. This is why Paul writes to the churches and he says, To you saints, this is what he says in Romans 1, verse 7, those, To those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, called out of darkness to be holy and precious to the Lord. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, 
called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is, or is made up of those who are saints, those who are called out, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the holy ones of God. The ones who have seen God's great redemption personified and given flesh in Jesus Christ. And so, this is why we say, where Jesus uses this word ecclesia for the first time with the church and bases it upon Peter. Because what has Peter done? Peter has just made a confession that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior of God's people. And so when Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, we disagree with the Roman Catholic Church. We disagree that what Jesus meant is that it was upon Peter himself that he would build his church. Ever since the Reformation, the Protestant Church believes that it was not upon Peter that he would build his church, but it was on Peter's profession, this rock that the church of God would be built. It was on Peter's profession that Jesus was the Christ, the one to come, the one whom all God's blessings flow to his people, the Messiah who would be a servant of the Lord and redeem his people through his precious blood. If you want to know more about this word, the rock, te petra, that's used in the New Testament, it's only used three other times, and it's very fascinating. If you want to know more, co come find me afterwards, and we can talk and, be, and nerd out on it, but I'm not going to do that now. The church is built upon the profession that Jesus is the Christ. Who is in the church? Those who have faith in Jesus Christ. This is why our confession says the Catholic, and that might scare some of you, but Catholic means universal. The Catholic, that is universal church, all people everywhere who believe, which is invisible, consists of all the elect who have been, past tense, are, present tense, or shall be, future tense, come into one under Christ its head. In Scripture, we find that the church is being described metaphorically in many different ways, but all describing it in an organic nature, as a, whole, as a healthy organism that grows. The church is called a temple. The church is called His people. She is called the bride of Christ. And if you were here in the fall as we went through Ephesians, you know that the husband dies for his bride. She is called the body of Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to keep our finger there. But turn with me to Ephesians 4. And if you didn't do this in the fall, please do this now. In a minute we're going to look at verse 11. But start with me in verse 4. This is the body of Christ, the church. There is one body, 
one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. This is the church, united in one, united in their baptism, which sets us apart from the rest of the world for holy use, to come into the presence of God because we have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. The church is God's people. She is also called his flock. And as we see in the high priestly prayer in John 17, 20, Jesus prays not just for his disciples sitting in front of him, but he also prays for all of those who will believe through their word. And this is, in, this is important. It is through the words of the apostles through the testimony of Peter and his profession and confession, through the words of John and Matthew and the Apostle Paul. The church is a society, as the larger catechism says, made up of such of all ages and places of the world who do profess the true religion. This is why the Nicene Creed can say, one holy Catholic and apostolic church we are one. We believe in the central truth. We have something in common. We are all saved by grace through Christ alone. We are all justified and sanctified by God's Spirit in our union with Christ. We are Catholic, meaning anyone who believes this is part of God's universal, invisible church. But we are also apostolic. We follow the teachings of the apostles. We may differ from congregation to congregation on secondary or tertiary issues. But we believe in one core message. The apostolic message. The grace of God for sinners. The resurrection of Jesus the dead from the dead this is what paul describes in romans 1 6 i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation for anyone who believes it was the gospel that was proclaimed to all it was the gospel that was proclaimed to those who are far off for the gospel of peace jesus draw us to himself once we were not a people but now we are god's people once we had not received mercy, but through the preaching of the gospel, we have received God's mercy through Jesus Christ. This was the message of the apostles. Apostles were sent ones. They were ones sent out. As R.C. Sproul says, an apostle, in the sense of the New Testament, in the sense of the New Testament uses the term, is one being sent by someone else who has been authorized to speak with authority by the one who sent them. And so, we believe that the church in which Christ would build on this confession of Peter was the gospel message. The apostolic teaching, not through the apostle lineage, but through the teaching of the word of God. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 4, 
after he says there is one body and one Christ grown organically, this is what, this is what if you have a pen, if you have your Bible, this, this is what you want to circle in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. He gave the church, the apostles, and the prophets, and the evangelists. He gave the church what the church needed to succeed, the message of the gospel. Jesus sent his apostles out with the message of good news, that God's redemption had come. This is the apostolic message. Christ crucified and raised from the dead. This is what they were commissioned in the Great Commission to go out. After the resurrected Christ appeared to them, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is what we see in Luke's account of the Great Commission in Acts 1. Again, the risen Christ speaking to his apostles, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. This is what the apostles did. They proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we read in the beginning of Romans 1. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he proclaimed beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The message of the apostolic faith is a message of Jesus Christ coming to save sinners. And this is what Christ gave his church. Apostles, prophets, and evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to proclaim this good news to the church. Why? So that they can be a mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that they might receive all of the blessings that are theirs in Christ. Because without the message of the gospel, we are lost in our sins. Without the message of the gospel, we have no hope. Without the message of the gospel, we remain in darkness. But it's through the proclamation of the gospel that God calls sinners like you and me to himself and says, come to me, all who are weary, and you will find rest for your souls. This is what the church is. It is an organism that proclaims the gospel. It is a people set apart for the gospel. This is also what the church does. It builds each other up. It encourages each other. It points people to Jesus. 
This is what Peter is saying as we come to our verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. After, Jesus, after Peter proclaims this incredible sermon of the gospel coming in Jesus Christ, what does the church do? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. What do churches do? They follow the preaching of the gospel. They are transformed by the gospel. They are increasing in holiness, denying their sins and following after Jesus Christ. This is what astonished Paul so greatly in his letter to the Galatians, that they so quickly deserted the gospel of Jesus. They were on the verge of following after a false faith because they were leaving the message that the apostle had given them. This is also why when Paul was planting churches, as the apostles were planting churches throughout the New Testament, when they were planting these churches, they charged them with something. This is what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, this is what he charges them to do. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but will have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into its midst. Christ is building his church through the preaching of the word. Christ is building his church by calling sinners to faith in Christ to be a true church, we must be dedicated to the gospel. We must be dedicated to fall in line with the apostles' teachings that we find in Scripture and never to say, well, that was for them for back then. This is what we need to believe now. If this is truly God's word, God never changes and his truth is always true. He has given us this word, his ordinances, to dispense to us his grace. That's why the Shorter Catechism can say, these ordinances, especially the word and sacraments and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. How do we come upon salvation? By believing in the word of God by continually being reminded of our need for Jesus. And so my question for you, this was, this was really hard not to be just another Sunday school, but my question for us is, are you committed to this type of church? To believe the gospel, to believe in the good news that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, our Messiah. To stand in alignment with the apostolic 
teaching and the confession that Jesus is the Christ. And when you find yourself out of alignment with this word, will you repent to God and conform to his commands? Sometimes we believe the lie that the gospel is only for non-believers. But the reason we come here every Lord's Day is to be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. To know that every single day, if it wasn't for the sustaining power of Christ in us through His Spirit, we would have no hope and we would fall away. This is why we say as a church, as our confession says as a church, outside the church, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. That's why we say you, you can see God's creation in a deer stand or in a duck blind or in a baseball field or in a basketball court. But you cannot understand salvation without the gospel. You cannot receive the means of grace of the gospel without being a part of the saints of Jesus Christ. And so you might be asking yourself, Tyler, this is, this is great and all. What does this have to do with church offices, with elders and deacons? Well, I tell, all of, I tell you all of this because in Acts, this is what we see the apostles begin doing as they plant churches. They began setting elders over churches so that they might adhere to the teachings of the apostles. This is what we see in Acts 14, verse 21. When they, the apostles, had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Ictacum and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The apostles started putting elders and deacons over the churches to make sure that churches stayed faithful to the gospel. That was Acts 14. Do you know what we see in Acts 15? There was a dispute among the churches. And so we read in Acts 15, verse 6, Apostles and elders gathered to get together in Jerusalem to consider the matter. This is what we as Presbyterians call the first Presbytery meeting. There was a dispute whether Gentiles should be circumcised. And so the apostles and the elders met together to decide, what are we going to do as a church? This is why when Paul writes his letters to the Philippian church, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with overseers and deacons. And we're going to get more into what an overseer is and an elder is next week. But when Paul sent Timothy to plant churches throughout Ephesus, this is why we hear this incredible chapter in 1 Timothy 3. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not a violent, 
but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up and be with all conceit fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonor, dishon, dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, not sober, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. These elders and deacons were placed to serve the church, to love the flock, to build up the body, to call them to faithfulness in the gospel. This is why one of our membership vows is, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and its peace? We as elders have been put over the church for its spiritual oversight to receive credible confessions of faith, to oversee baptism and those admitted to the Lord's Supper. If we did not care for you, we would allow you to believe whatever you want to believe. If we did not care for you, we would not come to you and say, we believe that you are living in sin. Please repent of your sin. We have no power in this church outside the apostolic witness of the gospel. These are the keys to the kingdom. The preaching of the gospel, the sacraments, prayer. We are called to reprove error, to exhort, to minister to the sick, to comfort the afflicted. The deacons were set in place because the apostles and elders were being called away from this ministry of the word, and the deacons are like shock absorbers. They took care of both the physical and the spiritual needs of the church. Brothers and sisters, this is why if Mike or Bill or even Ronald comes to you, if any officer comes to you and pleads with you to come back to holiness, we are doing it because we love you and we believe in the gospel of Jesus. Not because we are holier art out than art whatever that's supposed to mean. Not because we are holier than you, but because we're sinners just like you and we need a Savior. We do it because we know that you have no hope outside the gospel of Jesus Christ. We call you to repent because we know what it's like to repent. We call you to return to covenant faithfulness 
every single week because left to ourselves, we will fall away. The aim of this church, of reproof, of exhortation, even of discipline, is to be given because we love you. Because the aim of all church discipline is always restoration and reconciliation to the Father that loves you. The church is here where God's people are. A covenant community called out to be set apart from the world because we're being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is what we're doing here at Christ Presbyterian Church. We are devoting ourselves to the ordinary means of grace. Everything we do here is based upon the word of God and the proclamation of the gospel and the observance of the sacraments. The partaking where God dispenses his grace upon his people through prayer and through fellowship of the saints. So not only do I ask you, are you committed to this? But as, as you think of men for the office of elder and for deacon, think of men who push you towards Jesus. Think of men who love you and want to see you in the flock. Think of men who pray for you often, who encourage you, and who wait patiently for you. And think of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave everything for his church, who gave himself and shed his blood for their cleansing, for their justification. I also want to take this time Officers, if you are already an officer of this church, does this describe your heart? Because if it doesn't, repent and come to the Lord. Christ has given this church the gifts of elders and deacons and teachers. And so go our leaders, so goes this church. The elders rule jointly. Not one of us has power over the other. And our goal is always to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Our deacons are here to serve. There is not an office of rule, but one of service. To meet the needs of all the people. May you join with me in prayer that this is what this church will always be about. As elders, we're, we've been meeting with architects to talk about a new sanctuary. This is our only hope and desire that in 150 years we have a church that's proclaiming the apostolic faith, confession in Jesus Christ as the only way for sinners to receive salvation. Without him, we have no hope. Without him, our children have no hope. 
But remember the good news of the gospel. Christ's church will not be overcome. Christ is faithful to his people, even when they are faithless. This is good news for a sinner like me. Is that even when we were enemies, Christ died for me and for you. He is calling you to be a part of this church, to be set apart for holy use. Follow him by faith. Amen. Let us pray together. Father, bless your people through your word. Plant it deep inside of us. Father, may your word find fertile soil this morning in the hearts of your people. Father, call us out of our sin into the light. Father, may we seek unity, being joined together in peace. Father, may we always remember our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of God to redeem sinners. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.